And at this point, if we have any preschoolers or younger, they are free to go to their Sunday school class. Uh, normally, this is when we would dismiss K through fifth grade, but they're all going to stay in here with us the rest of the time. So little itty-bitty ones, off you go. And while they're doing that, I'll just kind of, I, I do want to say this. Uh, it really has been an exciting weekend in the life of Anthem Church. We had our first ever Next Camp. It was this weekend, Friday night, Saturday retreat, uh, just for our kids, just uh, to give them a place to have fun and to hang out with one another and to get some Bible teaching while they're at it. It was wonderful. And, And it's just been my philosophy for the longest time, that the children are the future, Teach them well. Let them lead the way. I mean, it's just, those are just words that I personally uh, live by. Trademark, Rick Gutierrez. Um, and so it's just really fun that we were able to do this. We've never done anything like that. Um, and I'm glad that we invested the time and the energy and the resources to pour into the lives of these little ones. It's so much fun. I, I have to admit, I know that I never, ever, ever get emotional for any reason whatsoever. Uh, I have not admitted this to anyone, including Jamie, but when I came in Friday evening and there was like 40 kids in here and and Justin Casper was doing his thing and (laughs) the kids are having fun, I was sitting back in that area and I had the smallest of little tears in my eye. It just made me so happy, so happy uh, to see our church doing that in the lives of little ones and having fun. Uh, Our mission here is to fill Andrew and the world with love, filled faith, filled hope, filled followers of Jesus. Folks, that begins with our little ones. That mission begins with what is our most valuable and important mission field, our sons, our daughters, our little kids. Uh, I would like to say a big special thank you to Nicole Gay and to Amanda Hall and Crystal, uh, Crystal Hadley, who I think is with the kids today, this morning. Uh, these three ladies spearheaded this thing. They were the, the, the ministry team. Uh, I loved it. I had to virtually have no involvement in it from a planning standpoint. That's the way it should work. They killed it. They planned it. They knocked it out. It was wonderful. Uh, And so I'm grateful for them and all the time that they put in. And then also all the other volunteers with music and AV and the teachers and the cleaning and the food. Like It takes an army to pull stuff like that off. So I'm really grateful for all of them. I just want you to know, particularly those that served in some way this weekend with that, you were gospel warriors. You are, in fact, missionaries. There's this false idea that I've got to go to China or I've got to go to Africa or I've got to go to South America to be a missionary. No, you were missionaries here at home. You were gospel warriors pouring truth and grace into the lives of, of these little ones. So I do hope that this weekend was the first of what will be many, many, many next camps. The aim of it is to help our children take their next step in the right direction and then also for us as a church to raise what is, in fact, the next generation. And that's why we do that. It's all about the next generation. Psalm 78, verses 4 through 7, says this. We will not hide them. Them is referring to things about God, truth about God, revelation, uh, w- the, the wonderful things that God has said and done. We will not hide those things from the children 
but will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the words of God, but keep his commandments. Folks, this is the stewardship that we've been given. We have been instructed to instruct children. Our, our calling is actually to work on God's behalf to provide godly direction for our little ones and point them to the truth and the grace of Almighty God. And I would say that all of us, not just parents, but all adults, we need to have a sense of urgency when it comes to this task. Because if, unless you have your head in a hole and you're not paying attention, there is a fierce war raging for the hearts and the minds and the souls of our little one. Theologian, writer, pastor, president of Shepherding the Heart Ministries, Ted Tripp, said this, Life is a classroom. It truly is. Teaching and learning are in process 24 hours a day. Here's the danger. In the absence of biblical formative instruction, secular or worldly Formative instructors take over. So if you're ever around kids, regardless of their age, would you not say that they're always learning? Oh, they're sponges. They're soaking everything. They're watching everything. They're looking at everything. They're hearing everything. They're always imitating what they're seeing, what they're hearing. They're always, always learning. So we, as followers of Jesus, we need to step into that God-given role to provide biblical, formative, good, wise, godly instruction. Because if we don't, the world is going to step into that space. They're going to own that space. And the world doesn't have really much to say other than what is ultimately hurtful and harmful and unhealthy. The world, if you're paying attention, is spewing out a lot of destructive lies. For instance, let me give you an example of one of these grotesque, horrible lies out in the world that the world promotes very easily and candidly. You go to the grocery store, go to Carly C's here in town, go over to the meat department, pick up a package. It says turkey bacon. <laughs> that is a flat out lie. There ain't nothing bacon about turkey bacon. Just because you say bacon after it doesn't turn it into bacon. Just because it's shaped like bacon doesn't mean that it's bacon. It's a lie. Blasphemy. It's a total lie. Now, let me flip that. On a serious note, why do they make turkey bacon? Because it's healthy. There's no trans fats in it and all this. Did you know, about to mess with everybody here who eats turkey bacon, that turkey bacon is a class one carcinogen, it is on par with cigarettes as a cancer-causing agent. But it's healthy. Eat it. Feed it to your kids. Now, you know what? You know what's healthier? Go bite a pig. That's actually <laughs> healthier. And we know that turkey bacon isn't bacon. It's just straight up faking. It's faking is all it is. 
Now, I can be silly, but the world just espouses these ideologies that are flat out wrong and fault and can wreak havoc in people's lives that are ultimately destructive. So we've been in this sexual revolution and about gender and about sexual orientation, these things that are like just happening in our culture. You know what the new one is? Folks, this is gaining popularity. It's gaining momentum around the world. Uh, I just lost it. Pedophiles are actually claiming, no, 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 we are a valid sexual orientation. There is a movement, and I tell you what, I'm giving it 10 years before there's going to be some laws in the book saying, you know what, that's probably okay. We can't, we can't say that that's wrong. But that's the slippery slope we've been on for at least one generation, if not longer. See, the world teaches this stuff that confuses all of us and every single, uh, uh, to the point that we don't even know what's right, what's wrong. It's just reaping havoc. So what we need to do if we're truly followers of Jesus first, we have to fight for this generation. We got to fight for their hearts and their minds to protect them from this other stuff because it's ultimately a matter of life and death. It's a matter uh, of their present well-being and ultimately of their eternity which is what matters most. The sacred duty uh, primarily falls upon the parent, but it's also a community of faith thing. It's not just the parents, but believers together, a local church. Uh, I'm glad that we have Sunday school. I'm glad that we did next camp. I, as a dad, I need the help of men and women that are willing to speak into and teach and help me do what is basically an impossible task, and that is to raise my kids up well. So I'm glad that we have a church family, and as it was said a little earlier, I'm grateful for those who serve as missionaries on Sunday mornings. But get what? If we have 12 more adults that are willing to serve once a month, we will be fully staffed there. And so I ask that if, if you are a follower of Jesus and Anthem is your church, would you consider giving of your time and being a missionary once a, once a month, one Sunday a month, and helping these kids and helping parents to raise kids in the, God's word and in God's truth? Uh, but as good as it is for us to have a church family that can rally behind us and support us, that duty does fall heaviest upon the parents. So what I want to do in the, in the minutes that we have left is to offer some parenting advice, some parenting counsel, some principles from Scripture to maybe help us out a little bit. Um, I, I do think that parenting is the most daunting task that anyone's ever given and the one that you are least prepared for. Of everything you've ever done, is there anything that you've been less prepared for than raising a little one? No, because for me personally, I, this is how it went. I was four years old in preschool, picking my nose, playing with Play-Doh. And it seems like the very next minute, I had four kids at home picking their noses, playing with Play-Doh. <laughs> what happened? And I don't feel like I was prepared. Like, how, like, what do you do with these little ones? You know, you get the big bill from the hospital when you get home. It didn't come with a manual. It didn't come with this how-to-parent type stuff. So you got to figure it out. Uh, but as daunting and scary as it is, I do want us to start here. God loves your kid more than you do. As scary and as ill-prepared as this is, 
God loves your kid way more than you do. He wants it to go better for them than you want it to go better for them. And that's why he's provided us principles in Scripture, because he has given us this stewardship, and he wants us to do it well for the ones that he loves even more than we do. And so we're, we're getting into some parenting principles here this morning. If you're here and you're in a season of life where you're currently not a parent, I want you to take this with you. These principles actually apply to anyone and everyone, because really I'm providing teaching principles, and every follower of Christ is to be a teacher, a disciple maker. So these apply across the board, whether we're talking to our five-year-old son or whether we're talking to a 35-year-old neighbor. Regardless, these apply to everyone equally. So with that, we're mostly going to camp out in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to flip around a few places, but if you want to turn in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 7, 4 through 7. And in that text, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So here's the first principle that we need to know. Good Christian parenting begins in the parent's heart. Ah, I didn't think I was going to flip it back on you. Christian parenting begins in the parent's heart. Look at verse 7. It said, we're told to teach our children, right, in that verse. You shall teach your children. But before we're to do that, we're to evaluate and consider our own heart. So verse 5 says, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our soul, with everything, right? We're to love God. So before we even get into how to raise my kids, we need to consider our own hearts. I do think it's interesting that the Bible never asks, do you believe in God? It never asks us to believe in God. What it asks us to do is to love God. So think about that, how profound that is. It's asking, do you love God? Not do you just believe in him. Even the demons believe and tremble. Believe isn't ultimately anything. Do you love God? Is your heart aligned with God? And the reason that we should all love God and love to love God is because of who he is. So verse 4 tells us, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one. Here in Deuteronomy 6, this is, you got to know this for context. This is uh, Moses addressing the Israelites. They're in the wilderness. They're making their way from Egypt to what will be their new home, that land that we call Israel, the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. That area. They're in between. They're traveling there. The reason that they were in Egypt was because they were enslaved. They were in their bondage under the tyranny of this terrible tyrant, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He treated them harshly, oppressed them, got it freedom. So they're on their way to what will be their new home. And Moses is addressing them. Well, they're, they've been in Egypt for several centuries at this point. Egypt was a polytheistic nation. They believed in multiple gods, many, many different gods. So they believed, they worshiped uh, the god named Ra, R-A, R, 
Ra, the god of the sun. They worshiped Osiris, the god of the dead. They worshiped Bastet, the god of cats, otherwise known as demons. They believed, yep, that's right. They believed in different gods, and each god had authority over a different aspect of life. So one god was the god of fertility, and one god was the god of weather, and one god was uh, the god of livestock or, or whatnot. So this is the situation, the belief system that Israel is coming out of. This is all they've ever really known or heard. And now Moses stands before them, and he presents something radically different. He's like, there are not many gods in charge of many different things. There is one God who is in charge of all things. Radically different than anything that they heard. He's telling them that there is only one true living God, just one. And he is the almighty creator of all things. You can simply speak and universe would come into existence that he simply through the enunciation of vowels that God could create galaxies and stars and quasars and suns and, and moons and planets and all of that. He's saying there's one God who created everything and he created everything out of nothing. I love saying this every once in a while. There was a time before God where, where, where excuse me, a time before a time when it was just God and nothing else. And God standing on nothing spoke into nothing. Nothing listened, nothing obeyed, and nothing became everything. That is who God is saying. That is, that is who God is, and that's who Moses is calling the Israelites' attention to. He is supreme over life and death. He is master of a night and day over things animate, things inanimate, heaven and earth, everything. God reigns supreme monarch over everything, and he rules without rival. He is God Almighty, but he is not a tyrant. See, this is one of the things that makes Christianity different. We believe in almighty God, and he's not a tyrant. He is loving in disposition. Exodus chapter 34 verse 5 says that God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is benevolent. And he's forgiving. He leads with kindness and in kindness. He is a compassionate God. That is who this one God is. This is who the Lord is. Our one maker, our one judge, our one friend, our one father, our one king. He is wise and good. This is who he is. And just like he freed those Israelites from slavery in Egypt... He has freed us from slavery to sin. Like just like he delivered the Israelites out of that bondage, that tyranny of Pharaoh, he has liberated us and set us free from bondage to death. And the way he did it, the most beautiful, amazing story that no believer should ever get over. God Almighty, out of love for us, personally came down. He stepped off of his throne in heaven and he came into this world supernaturally. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He took on flesh and he became one of us. He became a child and he grew in stature and in wisdom and he dwelt among us, looked just like us. And while he was here, you know what he did? He fed hungry people and he healed sick people and he taught glorious things, wonderful things. And then he let us, sinful man, 
He let us nail him to a cross. And on that cross, what he did is that he said, I will take your sin and your guilt and your shame and your burden and your issues. I'm going to take them on myself to free you of that burden. I will own it. I will take it to lift it completely off of you now and forever. Folks, that's called love. That anyone would give their life for someone else, that is the very definition of love. And that it would be God Almighty, the ultimate being in all of existence, who would do that for you, then folks, that is by definition ultimate love. That is the gospel. That is what we celebrate, that God would do that to take our punishment, die our death, and whosoever believes in him, in his son Jesus Christ, whosoever believes, we're free. We're free. No more bondage. No more sin. We're forgiven of every last bit of it by grace, through faith, that God who personally gave us life gives us a new life. One in which his power protects us, one in which his grace comforts us, one in which his wisdom leads us. That's who God is, and that's what he's done, and that is his love for you. So the question, do you love him? Do you love the God who loves you, and do you love him with all of your heart and soul and might? Deuteronomy 6 challenges us to evaluate, really, if we have other gods. It tells, it's asking, that's what it's asking. When it says, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might, and strength, and all that, it's asking, do you love anything else more than God? Do you have any other gods or false idols? And here's one way to evaluate that. Are there things or people that you depend on more than God? If there's anything that you depend on more than God, that is by definition a false god. Is there anything, is there something or someone that brings you more joy, that brings more joy to your heart than God himself? That is by definition a false God. Is there anything to which you are more loyal to than God himself? That would be a false God. What Deuteronomy 6 is saying is when it says the Lord is one, do you love him? It's saying, will you yourself be one? Stop being fragmented to where you kind of sort of give some affection here and you kind of sort of give some loyalty here and you kind of sort of believe this. No, it's saying don't be fragmented anymore. You be one as God is one. All of you, all that is in you, all that is within you, your thoughts, your minds, your motives, your beliefs, your opinions, your preferences, bring it all into alignment under the good lordship of God Almighty. Love God. And so like I said, there's a war that is raging for our little ones. It's raging, and that war begins in our hearts as adults. That's where it begins. If we truly love our sons and daughters, if we really want it to go well for them, every day we have to go to battle in our own hearts. Because there's all this stuff in the world that is fighting for our attention and our affection and our loyalty. There's all this stuff in the world that's looking to dethrone God from a throne upon our heart. So you have to fight every day to love God, to center your life upon God, to root your feet in the person of Jesus Christ. You have to do what verse 6 says. 
hide his commandments, which is to hide his word and his instruction in your heart. You have to fight for that because there's everything in us is fighting against that. I don't want to listen to what God has to say. I want to do what I do. So you've got to fight to keep it in your heart, to hide his word in your heart, to obey him out of gratitude and joy because of his love. So that's where it begins. Christian parenting begins in our heart, in the parent's heart. The second principle is this. Christian parenting addresses the child's heart. Psalm 78, verse 7 and 8 says that we're to teach our children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful. The order in verse 7 is so significant. The ambition of a good Christian parent, parent is that our kids should set their hope, number one, set their hope on God, and number two, keep his commandments. Notice the order. Heart then behavior. Heart, then obeying. The focus should be first and foremost on the heart of our child, not so much the behavior. This behavior is secondary to this. Too much parenting, I believe, is way overly focused on the behavior of the child. And I think the reason why, out of many, one of them is just selfishness. It's just our own selfishness. So uh, it wasn't that long. It's about a year ago. Uh, a family, I saw them out. They were out in public, and I, it was here. You don't know them. They visited once. Don't worry about it. I'm not gossiping. You don't know who they are. They visited once about a year and a half ago. And they came in. They had three kids, and they had one of their kids was a three-year-old. And they're out there. They're getting ready for church, right? And so they're getting ready for church. And the three-year-old's acting like a three-year-old, which is what three-year-olds do. And it wasn't anything bad. It was just acting like a three-year-old, a little bit loud and running around and rambunctious. Good. Good. Praise God for a three-year-old acting like a three-year-old. That's a good thing. But the mom runs over, I kid you not, grabs a kid, snatches him up, and like with like a terrorizing voice, stop it. You are embarrassing me. Now, I'm glad we were at church because I didn't say anything. <laughs> but folks, that... That is a terrible way to parent, to tell a kid, you're embarrassing me. Is that the standard by which my kids should measure their conduct, whether or not it embarrasses me? I'm fickle. What might embarrass me today might not embarrass me tomorrow. So how would they know? There's no objective standard there. It's selfishness. What I, would, what I communicate when I say, stop it, you're embarrassing me, is I care more about others' opinion of me than I care about your own heart. That's what that says. That's selfishness. Or I'm just put off. I'm tired. I had a hard day, and I came home, and the children are loud, and so I'm just going to yell at them to shut up because I'm just looking at their behavior. That's selfishness. I've been inconvenienced. I've been put off. That's selfish. That's not addressing the heart. I, I would say this. I said this to someone about a few months ago. Um, if you're a parent, and you've probably done it, because we probably all have, if you've ever said that to your kid, stop it, you're embarrassing me, go to your kid, whether they're three years old or 35 years old, and apologize. I messed up. 
my parenting, my directing of you should not be based on whether or not you embarrass me. Repent, take it to the Lord, and go confess it to them. Go confess it to them. Good Christian parenting cannot be selfish. It has to be selfless, which is always, always putting the interests of the child ahead. And that always means seeking to address their heart. Well-behaved children is not the goal. Listen, well-behaved children is not a worthy goal. The goal is not behavior modification. The goal is heart transformation. It's the heart first. Ted Tripp said this, a change in behavior that does not stem from a change in heart is not commendable. It is condemnable. Why do you think Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 rebuked the Pharisees? He said, you praise God with your lips, but your heart is far from him. But you can look the part. Your behavior can look all Christian-y on the outside. But what matters is the heart. God is not interested in whitewashed sinners looking the part on the outside. What God is after is the heart for a sinful heart to be uprooted and transformed into one that follows after Jesus. So parenting, therefore, must address the heart in order to root out the sin to look past the behavior to get to the heart. Another word for sin is foolishness. I love that word. This is straight up foolishness. The Bible defines sin as foolishness. Parents need to discern the difference between childishness and foolishness. Childishness is a kid acting their age. That's good. I want my kids to be loud. I want my kids to play and be full of life. Uh, too much parenting squashes the life out of kids, squashes the personality out of kids. I want you, five-year-old, to act like me, a 55-year-old crotchety curmudgeon. But we're so focused on just the behavior, right? We don't discipline childishness. That's okay. I have four at the house, nine, seven, five, and almost three. It's loud. You've heard me say this. It is so loud at my house. And there are times when it's hard when it's loud because my office is in the house. And so maybe I'm praying or I'm studying something or I'm on the phone doing some counseling. And it's hard if it's loud. Now, I could run down the stairs and yell at them. Stop acting your age. Right? I could address the childishness which doesn't do any good. I'm just focused on the behavior. I'm not targeting the heart. Or if I really need quiet... I could just walk down and nicely say, hey, folks, I'm, I'm really busy for right now. Could you take your age-appropriate behavior outside? Now, childishness turns into foolishness when we ask a kid to do something and they disobey. That's foolishness. That's sin. That's different. That's completely different. So childishness is good. Foolishness is bad. The Bible defines foolishness as sin. And sin, foolishness, is simply dismissing the reality that there is a God acting as if I'm God and then doing whatever I want to do. That is really what foolishness is. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. 
The fool. That's what, that's what sin is, to say that there is no God. So if I'm saying there's no God, guess what I'm really saying? I'm God. I don't have to follow what God says because there is no, I'm acting, living as if there's no God, as if I am, I'm in charge. So I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, no, no matter what. I can do whatever. There is no God. Is that not the first sin in the Garden of Eden? The devil tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God, eat of the forbidden fruit. He told them, when you do, you will be like God. You'll be like God. So this is, the, this is what foolishness is. This is what sin is. It is living as if or acting as if there is no God, as if we are God ourselves. So as parenting, we have to address the heart and that tendency in our children that I'm God. So here's an example. Here's a little example. You take two kids and they're playing. One has one toy. The other one has the other toy. Eventually... Kid two is going to want the toy that kid one has. And kid two is going to walk over and take that toy. Then kid one is going to start yelling and screaming and fussing over it. And they're going to walk over and grab it back. And so now they're fighting over this toy, yelling, screaming, and hollering. And what do most parents do most of the time? They walk in the room and they ask, who had it first? Folks, that addresses the issue of justice that does not address the heart. That's not, actually, that's not good parenting to just simply say, what is just? Address the heart. What do we do? Hey, you both are being selfish. You're both being selfish. In that moment, they're claiming to be God. I want what I want at your expense, no matter how it makes you feel. I want what I want, no matter what you want. I'm God. That's selfishness. So we have to sit down with it. I'm so happy this happened yesterday. I actually had written this example, and this exact same thing happened like 45 minutes later with little Eve, who's almost three, and, uh, <laughs> and with little Max, who's two, two years old. So he's over, and they were playing. And Eve, my Eve, she grabs a car that they're playing with, and she just goes off with it. And so Max gets upset, and Eve, like, she's, like, looking over her shoulder with all her little sass, right? Like, mm-mm, mine, mine. And Max, bless his heart, he's got the little pouty face. He's about to start crying. And so I walk over. Now, I could have said, I saw who had it first. Give it back. Eve, it'd be better you're being selfish Can you share? Look at Max. Look at his face. He's sad. Can you both play with it together? And by God's grace, in that moment, she said, okay. And she walked over, and they played for a little while together. Now, in that situation, it worked worked out well pretty quickly. In most people, you're going to have to do that over and over, over and over, year after year after year. The point is, address the heart you got to look behind what's underneath the behavior to get to the heart. And we do that by three ways. Three ways. And I'm going to quit in real quick here. Verse 7, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. It gives us a few pointers. It says, you shall teach them, talking about God's word, God's instruction to your children. You shall teach your children and shall talk of them and you just, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The first thing we're supposed to do is be teachers. Good Christian parents are teachers. Teaching is not simply communicating information. Teaching is explaining. 
reasoning. Be, trying to be rational with your child. Can you get them to actually comprehend it? That's what a teacher does. So we, as followers of Jesus and his parents, we're to be teachers of God's word. Teach them who God is in a way that is understandable to them. I don't know how to do that. I don't even know what the Bible says, let alone how to teach it. Folks, you're in luck. Next week, Monday, August 13th, begin our small groups. We relaunch them next week, our A-teams as we call them. Small group Bible studies that meet during the week at different days, different times. And it gives an opportunity to team up together to help each other understand what God's word is, what it says, to help each other and do life with one another. So for the love of your children, if for no other reason, and it really should be first and foremost for your love for God, but if for no other reason, for the love of your kids, join an A-team. Stop by the info table, sign up for one, and be a learner, be a student that you may be a teacher. Because you're going to need to be a teacher if you're going to address your child's heart. The other thing that verse 7 says there is that we're to teach with diligence. Diligence, constantly. Repetition, repetition, repetition every day. Consistency, consistency. Now, unless your children are different than mine, I just find that I have to tell mine a lot. It often. <laughs> That's funny. He's giving me a look. Little Emerson in front, he's giving me a look. No, we have, to tell, we have to remind and tell them over and over and over again. So be diligent in your addressing the heart. And the third thing that verse 7 says is speak. Talk to them, not talk at, talk to, speak with, engage in thoughtful, in, in thoughtful conversation. So in other words, build a relationship with your child. Be in relationship with your child. Engage in spiritual conversations, and you can do this anywhere. A lot of men, and I'm going to talk to the men right now, a lot of men are intimidated because Franklin Graham or Billy Graham or some like giant theological man said that the way you do it is that once a week you have family worship time and you crank open the, fam the boomer Bible and you preach to your family. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. If you do it, great. Praise God. You knock it out. That's just not how I do it. I kind of just follow what verse 7 says. When I wake up, when I lie down, when I sit down, when I walk around, it's just as I'm going about my day, as I'm going about my life, I just, I just talk to my kids. And every situation in life is an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation. You're driving in a car, an ambulance goes by. Hey, kids, let's pray for the people. Someone's in trouble. When it stops raining after 40 days and 40 nights like it just did, and the sun comes out, <laughs> praise God with your kids. Hey, kids, there's sun. We can go outside and play. Isn't that great that God created this day for us to play. And anything is an opportunity for you to engage in spiritual conversations to address the heart. Uh, just a couple of days ago, um, I was in the kitchen, and Ellie was in there with me, uh, my seven-year-old. I got her permission to share this. And she kept saying megamorphosis with a G. Mega. Megamorphosis. And she kept saying it for like 10 minutes. Nothing else. Megamorphosis. Megamorphosis. And I finally say, what, what is that? Because I, I figured it was a new show on Netflix that they're watching or something. She said, no, megamorphosis. It's when a caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> well, obviously, the word is meta. meta, 
metamorphosis. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed. The word in the original language is metamorphoste, which is the word that we get our word metamorphosis from. Be metamorphosized. By the renewing of your mind, don't conform to this world. The word metamorphosis means to be radically reformed, reoriented, reshaped to such a degree that the thing that was remade is, based, is completely different. It's, it's unrecognizable from what it used to be in the past. Be honest with you, I prefer Ellie's word. I like it. I don't just want metamorphosis. I want megamorphosis. Like, I, I want me personally and for all of us and for our children to experience a massive, major, total transformation from the inside out to be a new creation. And the way that that takes place is by being cocooned in the gospel, by being cocooned in God's word. So what that means, parents, always keep reminding your kids of the gospel Keep telling your kids just how much God loves them. Tell them every day. Don't you, you say, I love you. Say it. But then tell them, God loves you more. And say it that way. Remind them how much God loves them. That he made them and that they're special. And he loves them so much that he doesn't want them to be in their sin. He doesn't want them to be a caterpillar. He wants them to be a beautiful butterfly with the wings. You got to keep it before them. Keep pushing that truth and that grace into their minds and into their hearts. Tell them that God wants a relationship with them, a loving, thriving relationship with them. Speak. And when they sin, talk to them. It's like, that's wrong. That's sinful. That's against Jesus. Jesus loves you anyway. Remind them of the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross, and then lead them to repentance. Will you turn from this? Pray with your kids prayers of repentance. Help them to understand how to repent, not just, I'm sorry. No, to actually sit down and say, God, I messed up. Please forgive me. Lead them, shepherd their hearts toward the cross and toward Jesus. Teach them diligently not to lean on their own understanding, but to acknowledge God and Jesus in all of their ways every day. Folks, that is good parenting. That is what it means to address the heart. So our mission begins with our children. This wonderful mission we've been entrusted to, and it's a scary time that we live in. These kids are growing up in what I think is the scariest time ever. They're being exposed to things at younger and younger ages that are absolutely scary to me. And this world is going after them with destructive ideology. And the answer is not to quarantine your kid from the world. The answer is to tether them to Jesus. And the way we do that is we begin with our own heart. Fight for your relationship with God. Fight for your connection with God. Fight for your love of God and let that overflow into the lives of your kids. And then, instead of just going after the behavior, go after the heart. Good behavior is a secondary benefit to gospel transformation. So go after the heart first and foremost. And together, folks, we will raise up a next generation of love-filled, faith-filled, hope-filled followers of Jesus who call Jesus friend. All right. Let's pray.
priest is going to come. They're going to lead us in a closing song. And let's, we got a bunch of kids in here. I say we sing this song loud and fast and happy and joyful, all right? Thank you, Lord, so much for this morning and opportunity to celebrate the gift of life, to celebrate our children, our sons and daughters. Lord, what a, an amazing treat and blessing they are. We recognize that they belong to you first and foremost. You made them. You made them for your purposes, Lord. They're for your glory. And Lord, we're simply as parents entrusted to steward their hearts toward you. So Lord, I do pray. I pray that we would be good Christian parents, that you would give us the grace and the wisdom, the understanding, the patience, the compassion, the energy, the boldness to speak truth into our kids' lives, Lord, to shepherd them, Lord, to not squash them, but to edify them and to build them up, to encourage them and to unleash them into this world as your warriors. Lord, I do pray for all the parents. We, it's, it's hard. Uh, we need to fight for our own hearts. Lord, we're, we're tired. There are a lot of distractions. Uh, we're stressed. We're burdened. Um, we're on empty. And so, Lord, I pray for the hearts of parents here now a fresh filling of your spirit and of grace, of the peace that surpasses understanding, that we would have this thriving relationship, this connection with you. And then, Lord, just help us to raise these kids. I ask for their protection in, in school or wherever they may be, Lord, that you would protect their hearts and minds from the crazy things that they're seeing and hearing. But, Lord, when they see and hear those things, may you give us an opportunity to correct it, to speak into it. Lord, you've not left us alone. You are our Father, our King, our friend. And so we worship you. We know we're not in this alone, Lord. We're in this with you, and you're with us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.